This is the Barbecue Central Show podcast being generated from a live recording of the Barbecue Central Show, which airs at thebbqcentralshow.com every Tuesday between 9 p.m. and 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. The Barbecue Central Show being brought to you by the Barbecue Guru, makers of automatic pit temperature control devices. Visit them at thebbqguru.com or call them 800 800- 288-GURU. And by Tasty Licks Barbecue Supply. Sauces, rubs, grills, smokers, everything for the outdoor chef. Visit them online at tastylicksbbq.com or call them 800-677-2882. And by Butcher Barbecue. Manufacturers of premium injections, rubs, and sauces. Visit them online and take full advantage at butcherbbq.com. And by Stephen DeFranco Jeweler. Official jeweler of the Barbecue Central Show. Visit them at stephendefranco.com or call 440-943-2700 and use keyword Barbecue Brother to receive all the discounts. And by iGrill, manufacturer of Bluetooth-enabled temperature, which is generated and sent to your smart device. You can find out more information by visiting iGrillInc.com. Use promo code CENTRAL to get 15% off your entire order at the iGrill Inc. store. And by Green Mountain Grills, one of the country's premier pellet grill manufacturers. Three different sizes to choose from, something to fit in every budget, and find out more by visiting GreenMountainGrills.com. And by CookShack, the country's premier manufacturer of electronic and pellet-driven cookers, servicing the residential, commercial, and competition markets. Visit CookShack.com for more information. This is Renny Kanaw for ChampionshipBBQ.TV, and you're listening to the Barbecue Central Show. So to get that perfect barbecue, you use wood. Are you sure it's safe? Whatever. We put the lighter fluid on, strike the match, and... Oh. Should we call the fire department? That might be a good idea. All right, folks, good evening and welcome to the really big Barbecue Central Show. Uh, This is the show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling, broadcasting live and direct from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. It is the barbecue capital of the North Coast. I'm your program host, Greg Rempe. Happy to have you aboard here on your Tuesday evening. If you want to jump in on the show tonight, more than happy to have you. You can do it via telephone, 216-220-0966. You can also email the show if you'd like to, greg at thebbqcentralshow.com. Your two bits of contact information. Anything else you want to find out about the show can, of course, be obtained by visiting the main website, thebbqcentralshow.com. And here's what's happening tonight in case you didn't get the newsletter, which you can also find on the main website. Uh, Coming up in about 13 minutes from now, Gabriel Garcia. Gaucho Gabriel will be uh, joining us to talk about his unique cooker, a unique style of cooking, which kind of, I'm guessing, we'll find out here in a few minutes, inspired uh, this whole grill building phenomena that he has going on. It's quite a piece visually, and I'm sure you're going to be enjoying some conversation with Gabriel Garcia at 914. Then we'll move to 935. 
Uh, he's only the best steak cook in America is judged by judges. Monty Brown from Trash Can Cookers, also a competitive barbecue cook. Very excited to talk to Monty on a number of different topics. Uh, then we'll move to the second hour and at 1014... CEO of Lynx Grills, one of the highest, if not the highest end grills and outdoor living stuff on the market today. Jim Booth will be joining us. Very excited to have Jim alongside and with, well, not alongside, but along with me tonight on the interview side of things. That's 1014. And then to close out the show, Sam's Club Regional, the first regional final took place this past weekend. Rhythm and Q won it, and they'll be on the show, 1035. So there you go. Rocked, loaded, and all that. Typically, I don't go for the opening segment phone call, but typically I don't have one. So uh, we will go ahead and jump right to the phone. We go to area code 423. Name and where you're calling from. Steve Ray. Steve Look, for the folks that don't know, uh, Steve actually scrolls that the show is going to be on like every Tuesday uh, at his shop. So, Steve, thank you very much for doing that. Much appreciated. Hey, Greg, what's up? Allow me to uh, return the favor. What can I do for you tonight? Oh, I just wanted to call in and uh, just tell you how much we enjoy the show down here in uh, in Tennessee. And um, I, we, we, my, my team down here, we're we're getting keyed up for the uh, upcoming comp season, and uh, we got a uh, bought a, a new a new smoker. And I, I don't know if you guys wanted to hear about it or not. Well, did you we get thought, uh, did you get that superior deal. you get that superior smoker is that the one you're talking about yeah we did um, oh. and um I tell you the, the guys the blackburn the guy that owns the company he he was a great guy and a lot of help and uh that's you know what what we're finding in the uh, barbecue uh world here um uh the the help that you get among all the peers and all the uh different uh folks you do business with it's just it's just incredible. And you know a lot of them I heard about on your show and uh, uh, David Bosco. We uh, we bought a, I bought several uh, products from him, and we used them this weekend. And I know David's in the chat room, and uh, I want to appreciate you, Dave. We'll be getting some more too as our season progresses. But um, I want to tell you that that Superior Smoker. I know you've got a lot of you know different butchers. You got Gabriel on, and I've I've seen his uh, cookers on the website. It's incredible, and, uh, that, and that's a fascinating uh, piece of equipment. It looks like. I can't wait to hear his interview, but um, but I just want to say that that uh, you know everybody in this business, the the, the way they help people out, and uh, you know you don't even know people, and but they you know they give you feedback. It, it's just it's just an awesome uh, an awesome community. Yeah, Steve, and, I, and I couldn't agree more. I think uh, I think the people in the barbecue community are you know, a unique bunch, and as competitive as they are, well, you know, on the competition side of things, of course, as competitive as they are on that weekend, uh, they're the they're the same people that if you run out of aluminum foil or if you forget a thermometer or whatever the case, they go right back into their trailer or they dig into their tool chest and they're the first ones to lend it out to you. Uh, you know, they want to beat your face in, but they want to do it uh, in a nice way all the time. So uh, I think it's kind of unique to the industry. It is, and I want to give a, I want to give a, a big shout-out to – Kevin Blackburn from Superior Smokers. He, you know, he drove that thing all the way over here. Uh, he drove it up. Uh, Udawa is a little town outside of Chattanooga, and uh, where my where my uh, service station is. He brought that all the way from Gainesville and delivered it Sunday morning. And of course, my friend Dan Grease and I, we were, yeah. I mean, you talk about great. You talk about uh, two kids on Christmas morning, you know, waiting for <laughs> Santa Claus to arrive. 
you know, standing out in front of a gas station just waiting for a guy with a trailer uh, to drop off a smoker. It was it was just hilarious. And uh, he went over it with us and uh, did a great job. If anybody's out there looking for a uh, a gravity feed type smoker, uh, you know, by all means, give uh, Superior Smokers and Kevin Blackburn a shot to earn your business because uh, he will stay in touch with you and, he, and he'll do a great job for you. He really will. Steve, my friend, I appreciate the spreading of the Barbecue Central gospel and uh, doing what you do for the barbecue world, man. Certainly appreciate it. All right, Greg. We sure appreciate you down here in Ottawa and look forward to listening tonight. Thanks All right. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in. There he is, Beth. Steve. Midnight Oil Steve, ladies and gentlemen. Literally, if you go to my Facebook page and you go back a few uh, few weeks in posts, uh, he he has a service station, like, uh, you know, car serve, and he has a big sign out front with one of those ticker scrolls, and there's been a few number of Tuesdays where he's scrolled Barbecue Central Show on tonight, 9 p.m., visit this website. This is somebody who's going to be on it. I mean, he's like the, the Tennessee blowtorch of the Barbecue Central Show. Steve. Humble, thank you. Appreciate it. I appreciate you calling in tonight. Don't usually get the, uh, as I say, don't usually get the first segment call in, but if we get it, hey, I might throw caution to the wind and take it. You end up with a great phone call like that. Of course, 80% of the time, you wind up with crap and people trying to be my mom. It's an ebb and a flow. What can I tell you? Look, the show's on live right now in case you didn't realize it. I was just talking with Outdoor Cooking Channel creator Kevin Bevington about a new venture that could be taking place as early as next week, uh, mostly dealing with his side of things. It'll, It'll run up to my show, of course. But if you've been watching Facebook and you are a fan of one Chad Ward of Whiskey Bend Barbecue. He is finally, after my utter counsel and pleading with him to get off that joke blog talk radio where anybody can have a uh, show and anybody that has a phone line can have a show, and it sounds horrific. And look, it's the easy way to do it. What's they say? If it was easy, everybody could do it. Well, Blog Talk Radio makes it so easy, anybody can do it. And guess what? It sounds like anybody can do it. Hey, Willie. What are you doing? Yeah. You going to bed? All right. Well, yeah, it's 9 o'clock. Of course I'm doing my show. 7 o'clock. What are you talking about? Oh, all right. Duly noted. Got to wake Marley up at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. There you go. Um, he is finally throwing caution to the wind, and he is going to step up to the major leagues of outdoor cooking uh, and talk and all of that stuff. And he is coming. Hopefully next Tuesday between 7 and 9, so the run-up to the show. Chad Ward bringing Whiskey Bend Barbecue in the pit to the Outdoor Cooking Channel. I don't know if I'm allowed to technically say that out loud, but I just did. So if that's wrong, sorry, sue me. It's going to be very exciting four hours of barbecue talk. Uh, Chad sounding in uh, top radio voice. Uh, he'll also have a video feed as well. We're working on uh, those type of logistics. And we should have uh, what no other outdoor live fire cooking station has, which is four hours of live programming every week on Tuesdays. So I always say, if you think you have the ability to run a show, if you can uh, make a very small investment in sounding halfway decent, 
you too could have a show right here on this Outdoor Cooking Channel if you get in touch with Kevin Bevington and say, hey, I think I can bring something unique, something uh, extraordinary, something irreverent to this outdoor live fire cooking industry, and I'm uh, ready to give it a shot. So I'm looking forward to having Chad join the family here and leaving the uh, great unwashed, as it were, over at the blogtalkradio.com. Thank goodness. All right, uh, quickly, a public service announcement to all the Barbecue Brothers and Sisters from our show sponsor, Stephen DeFranco of Stephen DeFranco Jewelers, who is also a barbecue junkie, self-admittedly. Mother's Day is coming soon, very soon, like in a couple weeks. What are you going to get mom this year? New clothes that uh, won't fit, new shoes, because she has 700 pair. You know she doesn't want barbecue sauce or anything cool like that. She doesn't want suspenders. Yuck. How about the perfect answer, a new watch? Steve has an incredible selection of watches that would be perfect for mom. Ball of the watches. Why spend a ton of money on a watch if you don't have to? Ball of the watches are stylish and affordable, starting under $200. Ball of the watches come in traditional court styles and retro-styled automatic versions. Chronographs, skeletons, traditional styles fill the Bovola line of timepieces. Of course, the Precisionist, which I own, uh, want, want, do you do you want to get mom one of the most accurate watches in the world? Bolivar Precisionist is just that watch. The exclusive movement of the Bolivar Precisionist breaks down the secondhand movement into 16 segments per second, giving the secondhand a smooth moving appearance. Steel titanium versions are also available. Then you have the Accutron line, which I also have. High end without the high price, Cadillac of the Bolivar line. The Accutron is the pinnacle of high-end design without breaking the bank, starting below 600 U.S. bones. The Accutron watch gives you the high-end style, quality, and lifestyle you're looking for without breaking the bank. And then if you want to change it up a little bit, Citizens, is Mama Gadget Junkie? She might be if she's into barbecue. Eco Drive technology converts light into energy, powering your watch perfectly and accurately. Then you have the Philip & Company watches. They use the ETA-style movements. They're Swiss. All hand-assembled watches personally by Philip himself using ETA movements. And they are uh, uh, serial-numbered and registered with Philip himself starting at 895 bucks. Mom's not worth 895 bucks. What do you say? Yo, Mommy, you're not worth $885? That's crazy! All watches from Steven DeFranco come with the exclusive watch performance package that includes one-year extension of the manufacturer's warranty, free engraving, free watch batteries. For the life of the watch, free shipping... Free polishing cloth. He'll set the time for you if you tell him what time zone you're in, for crying out loud. All done at no extra charge. So you head on over to Stephen DeFranco. That's Stephen, D-I-F-R-A-N-C-O. Or you call him, 440-943-2700. That's 440-943-2700. We're back with Gabriel Garcia and the Gaucho Gabriel right after this. Gabriel Gaucho. We'll talk about it here in just a second, all right? Stick around. Be right back. Broadcasting live from the Barbecue Central Radio Network Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. All right, we are back. 216 220 
greg at the bbq central show.com your email address if you want to jump in this portion of the barbecue central show tonight brought to you by the sam's club national barbecue tour 31 cities five hundred thousand dollars in cash to be won plus eternal bragging rights if you win the whole thing this week the sam's tour rolling in to overland park kansas for a local qualifying event that we'll see the top six teams move on to the Midwest City Oklahoma Regional Final. They'll take place on September 20th. To keep up with the tour or to register and compete, you visit kcbs.us/sams tour. Very simple, very easy to do. All right, so the recurring theme tonight is going to be grills and com- competitions. Let's start with the grill side of things tonight. My first guest, very unique grill and a very specific way of cooking on it. Here to talk about. The Gaucho Garcia Grill and the cooking art of Asato. We race over to the hotline and welcome in first time on the show, Gabriel Garcia joining me. Gabriel, how are you, buddy? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Dude, uh, no video for you tonight or what? Um, I got a, a message coming up here saying something about an X-Split broadcaster. Do I need to adjust some settings? Mm, no, that's probably my video side to you. Is your camera activated? My camera is activated. It is? Yeah, hold on. Let's see. Oh, here we go. Oh, here we go. There we go. Here we go. There he is. Right. There's Gabriel. Muy guapo asado. Estoy bien. I don't even know what the hell I just said. All right. Uh, let's see. Okay. Now, there he is. Okay. Now, why isn't... Hold on. Give me, give me one second here. There. Okay. Perfect. So, I think when you visit your site and you see the cooker, and then you listen to the story behind it, it must go without saying that uh, perhaps you had quite a unique experience at Asado. So how about maybe a little background on you and how Asado came to kind of be like this uh, driving factor for you in the, uh, in the grill portion of things? Sure. So my wife's family is from Argentina. Our father emigrated from Buenos Aires uh, a number of years ago, uh, but he was the only one of a large family uh, to do so. So she still has six aunts and uncles, and over 30 first cousins uh, down in Argentina. Ooh, wow. Uh, we, we took our first trip together uh, to Argentina in, um, it was sort of the, the Christmas, New Year's of 2007 leading into 2008. And I met her family for the first time, really you know, large, warm, inviting family. And on Christmas Eve, they decided to host an asado at their family's beach house in Mar del Plata, which is, um, sort of a beach resort town about four hours south of Buenos Aires. And it was my first sort of foray into Argentinian barbecue. And there was a number of things that struck me that night that sort of captivated my imagination um, and led me to where I am today. The first is I think we started the coals around 11 o'clock. Wow. And they, were, they were ready to go. By about twelve, and then the food came off uh, the grill by about one thirty in the morning, and we finished up by about two thirty, and then we went out to celebrate um, New Year's at, at two thirty in the morning. Wow! So really, uh, that in and of itself um, was was really interesting. But but to me, I was eating you know, cuts of meat that I never had before. Um, there was an entire sort of it was an entire event. It was several hours. It was food and drink and chatting with people and I don't think I saw a television on or people checking their phone. It was really about connecting with one another um, over a great meal. 
um, in a fashion that's really been passed down from generation to generation amongst you know Argentinians and, and really a, a number of South Americans, Uruguayans, Chilenos, uh, Brazilians. They're they're all pretty proud of their grilling culture. There's some small differences in between, um, but you know it's it's part of the sort of entire asado culture. Is asado then more of a uh, a term that would be closer to us as grilling, or is it a specific reference to like a, a holiday or a gathering, or is it an all-encompassing phrase? Uh, just, you know, maybe a little bit more definition on that asado. Sure. So an asado, an asado can be for any occasion, but typically they, they'll have Sunday asados, which is, you know, uh, the end of the week or the beginning of the week, however you see it, but the end of the weekend as a chance to, to gather with one another, or you'll have it for you know, a big soccer match, or it can be for, you know, New Year's Eve. Um, but I think asado is more than just a barbecue. It's more than just throwing some food on the grill. It very much is about, um, you know, the asador, who's the grill master, taking time to go out during the week, get all of the, the, the food and or either wood or, or hard lump, uh, the lump charcoal that they're going to be using for, for many hours, preparing the menu, um, asking guests to bring side dishes, people bringing wine, and it being sort of an event. And it doesn't have to be for a specific occasion, but whenever you're having an asado, it's, it's, a, it's a cultural gathering and eating event. It sounds like uh, something I would want to have every day of the week, right? Yeah, if you wanted heart disease uh, quickly, <laughs> maybe. Um, but, uh, right, bring it on. It's like the American way, right? I know. I mean, I love, I love asado. I love hosting them. I love eating them. Uh, but I do try and look at it from time to you know. I try and look at it as sort of like a special occasion because, or, or at the very least, um, an occasion that you plan for. Because I think when you have the time off from an asado and you're just maybe you're just grilling a steak in in your yard for for dinner or you know a couple of pieces of chicken or something that you know that that break from the large scale barbecue is what makes the asado special um but yeah i mean it, it, the food is delicious i never get tired of it and um i mean some of the other things they do a lot of offal a lot of grilled organ meats that you know aren't popular here i like them some other people i know like them but when I've tried to recreate like truly authentic asados here, I've had a tough time finding um, you know, some of those organ meats to grill. That's just another example of, of how it's different than maybe you know, traditional um, you know, American barbecue. But that's, that's just sort of scratching the surface. Gabriel Garcia joining me here on the show. You can visit his website as we talk, gauchogarcia.com, just like it sounds, gauchogarcia.com. So I guess for the folks, uh, we have two sides of the show. We have uh, the, the TV portion like we're doing now. We also have just the audio side of things. Are you able to kind of paint a visual picture for the audio people as far as how the uh, Gaucho Garcia grill looks and operates? Sure. Yeah, I think this is, you know, when people see this grill, I think the first thing that strikes them is that it doesn't look like anything else out there. Um, we have essentially a, uh, a stainless steel box. Uh, the, 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 the panels and the grilling surface are made of, of stainless steel, and then we've got some powder-coated legs and, um, and then a high-heat treatment uh, firebox. But essentially what you're looking at is um, for our large model, it's a 
40 inches wide by 20 inches deep. The grilling surface is composed of um, sort of concentric V-shaped grooves um, put together um, that do two things. One, they give you a sturdy grilling surface, and they create a channel for uh, to, to, to gather and um, channel and drip the, the fat drippings uh, that come off of the meat into a drip pan. So in, in so doing, you don't get flare-ups. You get a nice even temperature when you're cooking because all of that fat uh, – travels down the drip, uh, drip channels into the drip pan. Um, you also have on the right-hand side is a crank handle, which adjusts the grilling surface up and down from the level of your coals up to 18 inches. So you can, you know, you can get a really high heat and do a lot of searing by lowering the, the grilling surface, you know, so it's kissing the coals. And then if you, you know, need to back off the heat or you want something medium high, medium low, you crank it up several inches, you know, 12 inches, whatever, whatever it is you need. And then within the same grilling session, you can have a variety of temperatures. And, and finally, the other thing that I think really looks different is on the left-hand side, we have what's called a bracero, which is sort of a, a firebox. It's a, a welded iron basket, sort of like you'd see in a fireplace when you stack your logs in a fireplace, it's the same concept. Uh, but here we've got it mounted above sort of a beveled base leading down a chute uh, with, a, with a shovel below. So the idea on our grills is you can stack, you know, a good amount of wood. I think, I think our Bracetto holds like 4.5 cubic feet of wood, which, which is a lot. But when you're grilling maybe for five hours straight, you're going to, go through that pretty quick. I mean, that's really your first batch of wood. But the idea is you light your wood on fire. Um, as it burns down into red-hot embers and you kind of poke at it with your poker, it will loosen the red-hot coals that funnel down below onto um, the shovel that's there. And then you simply transfer um, you know, the ready coals to the base of your grilling surface. So you've got a self-contained unit to take hardwood, produce coals, and make that... Um, your heat source for grilling. And that's, um, you know, very much part of the, the South American hardwood grilling tradition that we wanted to bring to, to North America because we just didn't see anything like that um, on the market um, that was you know, readily available for people that were interested. Yeah, we're uh, just watching that uh, promo video that you have up on the website as you're talking about it. Luckily, it was just kind of timed out perfectly as you see it burning down the wood and adding it uh, down to the firebox area there and, and cooking on it. it. looks absolutely spectacular. Are there a lot of other cookers that are out there on the market that are like similar to this, or do you, is it not really a heavily uh, competitive market for this style of cooking? So there are – I mean, there's a few competitors out there. Um, they – you know, there's one company, Grillworks, has been in business for a long time. I've spoken to Ben Eisendrath, who's their CEO, um, and, and they make great stuff. Uh, they, they've really made a headway into the, um, the restaurant space, and we would love to get there as well. They certainly have a head start with over three decades worth of, of uh, being in business. A lot of the feedback I got from people was, man, that looks great. But with an entry-level grill, you know, a 20 by 20-inch grill that starts at uh, $3,900, $4,000, wow. it, was, it was out of a lot of people's price range. Um, there are some other competitors out there doing some sort of, you know, custom stuff where it's not, um, 
it's not quite turnkey where you can place an order online and expect it to be coming in the mail. There's sort of a back and forth working out the the, in, the purchase order and the invoicing, and I don't I don't know what the quality of them is. Um, I don't know what uh, you know who their who their typical customers are. What I do know is for Gaucho Garcia, we wanted to get into the same space, recognizing that it is a niche market, that not everybody is interested in grilling this way, but for those who are, they wanted something that was that was authentic, that had a, a really terrific uh, firebox, so they could experiment with different types of wood, like mesquite or hickory or oak or applewood, whatever uh, was readily available to them in their area. And I think there was also a lot of feedback from the fact that we've been you know, I, you know, I personally have blo been blogging and writing about Argentinian cuisine, and and tying my roots, you know, to my wife's family and having been there uh, three or four times, and you know, interacted with asadores down there, lending a sort of a, a flavor of authenticity to our company that I don't think the other uh, competitors out there um, can match because we've been writing about it, documenting it, and sort of promoting that culture. Um, for the better part of uh, three and a half years now, and and now we just want to bring the products to the market to to match some of the the content that we've provided thus far. Gabriel Garcia is my guest. Uh, I mean, obviously, you look at it on the video or if you've seen it online and in other places. It's certainly, an impressive looking piece. Probably is a item that generates a lot of conversation around your house or, or backyard. You know, for the folks who buy it uh, or are interested in buying, how does it ship? And one can uh, one expect in regards to any type of assembly or what have you once it hits the driveway? Sure. So right now, so we just finished um, our Kickstarter campaign. We successfully funded um, on April 11th, and that was a really big boost for us because we needed that cash to sort of really get the first uh, multi-unit run of grills produced. So we are going to be wrapping up, well, when I say wrapping up, we're going to be transitioning the website from just that promo page with the link to Kickstarter into a fully functioning e-commerce website where people can place orders through the Shopify, Shopify platform that we're using. It's got a great checkout. Um, it's a very secure uh, site. And we're, we're basically going to be building out the e-commerce store. I believe that we should have our grills in people's hands. For those that, that order right as we sort of launch, we should be able to get those uh, out to customers by, by mid-July. Because of the size of, of the grills, we're going to have to send it freight shipping. This is there's just we we were kind of caught in a situation where we wanted this to be available to anybody. Um, eventually, we'd like to take international orders. We received we received a lot of feedback and interest uh, around the world, and we'll get there. But the first thing we need to do is you know to get it to North Americans, you know U.S. and Canadian customers um, that that really have been the backbone of of our uh, of you know the Kickstarter. And uh, the the blog the blog followers, so we are going to be shipping them freight because you know the the boxes that they come in are just too large to go by common carrier like FedEx or UPS. Right. Um, I'm not you know it's that's without a doubt that's going to be you know part of the cost of the grill, but our hope is that you know this is something that you buy and because it's so high quality and so durable. You know, it's going to be something you buy that lasts for a decade or more. 
So this is if you look at it, you you factor in the cost of the shipping um, because you've got you know a grill that weighs 250 pounds and a firebox that weighs 80. You know, it just it's it's a heavy product that's um, that, that has some shipping issues. That said, we should be able to get it to anybody. You know, you know, uh, once we have it in inventory, you know, within a week um, on the the freight ground shipping. When it arrives, it would probably arrive in um, I want to say three boxes. You'll have the the grill. Actually, that's two boxes. The firebox will be in one size box, and then the grill itself in another. There is there is assembly required. We did try and make it as simple and streamlined as possible. In so much as you only need a few tools. I think a um, couple different types of screwdrivers and uh, you know crescent wrench. So there's there's a number of steps given that it's broken down into parts. But it's not something where you need to, you know, have a contractor's license to figure <laughs> out. Um, you just need to be, you know, patient and diligently go through the steps um, to get it assembled. And when you do, you know, I think you'll you'll be kind of amazed at the the, the rugged quality. That when I first received our prototype, that's what struck me the most. Is man, this baby's going to last. It's heavy duty. It's going to withstand the thousand degree fire that I'm about to to light in this firebox and, you know, have, have coals burning in it for, uh, you know, for several hours. So th- those are sort of the things that struck me upon, you know, me assembling and building mine for the first time. Let me ask you this. we got a couple minutes left here, Gabriel, and I appreciate your time. Uh, you know, I live in Cleveland. We experience all four thermal cycles, and it's mostly winter, uh, whether we like it or not. And this one was especially heinous with snow and below zero temperatures for days and weeks in a row. Is this something that's going to need to be covered if I get one on my deck or on my porch, or can it stay uncovered? Like, what's the, the care and the maintenance issue here? So the what we've got is... Like I said, the, the walls of the, the grill box are stainless steel, as are the drip pan and the V-groove grilling surface. So I think we're, <clears throat> everything that's in contact with food is made of stainless. It's, it's removable, can be easily cleaned. There's no real worry on rust there. Um, we've got powder coating on the legs, which will certainly help. Um, it's, it's not stainless. Uh, but it, it, it will it will withstand um, a good amount of you know moisture. The firebox is somewhat problematic only because you know we have a high heat treatment paint which will help that last. But we couldn't because of the the, the high heat being produced there. We you know we couldn't get it powder coated. Yep. So you know there, there you you could see some spotting. We're going to have our our um, our warranty up. Um, you might see some spotting, but that's part of the oxidation process. It's not going to be in contact uh, with uh, with the with the food, and I don't I don't know yet. I mean, I haven't seen anything on my grill. Um, I think it's going to depend on the exposure to the elements, and you know, if you leave it completely uncovered, that might speed that up. And if you leave it covered, we'll we'll be including an inexpensive cover um, to to go to with every model. What we want to have is a, a nicer, thicker sort of canvas cover um, as, a, as a separate add-on for people that, that feel that they, that they want it. Um, so, you know, we, we are cognizant of that, um, but do think that the most important parts of the grill, um, you know, are in heavy-duty, thick-gauge stainless steel and, uh, and shouldn't have any problems regardless of the elements. Uh, Gabriel Garcia has uh, come up with the Gaucho Garcia Grill. You can uh, check it out and uh, potentially buy one here very shortly at Gaucho 
garcia.com. That link will obviously be on my website here in the post show notes. Uh, a way to prepare authentic asado. Gabriel, really appreciate the time tonight, man. Enjoy the conversation and continue success with us. Greg, thanks so much for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, you got it. Appreciate you coming on tonight and taking the time. There he is. Gaucho Gabriel, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, again, that is gauchogarcia.com. And, man, I thought just the uh, conversation on uh, asado and Argentinian cooking and all that stuff was uh, fascinating all by itself and kind of got lost in that and uh, wanted to make sure I got the, the time in to talk about the grill. I lost track of my own indulgence there. Monty Brown coming up out of the break. All right, gang. You know, I talk about him each and every week. Uh, hell, uh, St- Midnight Oil Steve just talked about him when he called in in the opening segment. Of course, I'm talking about Dave Vasca and Butcher Barbecue. ButcherBBQ.com, the place to go to order all of the stuff that you are looking to help uh, improve the barbecue and grilling game, not just on the competition circuit, but if you're just a backyard jamoke just like me. Uh, it's going to help you provide a better product to your friends and neighbors and so forth. We all know the Butcher is well-known for that injection, the beef, the pork, the prime injection, of course, Bird Booster. The prime injection has combined all the things loved from their beef injection using its award-winning flavor enhancer, its ability to keep your brisket juicy, and they've combined that with what has become the competition standard in beef flavor. It is available for sale right now, of course, at ButcherBBQ.com. The rubs, the sauces I talk about each and every week. The five-pound bag of honey rub that I am continually using, which I have found... uh, particularly good uh, just a hint just a hint over some steaming warm popcorn fresh out of the microwave or off the stove if you go old school a nice little sweet uh kick with a little bit of uh, heat there oh man it is uh if you've never put rub on popcorn in general you're missing out on uh, on tasting rubs in a different way uh, but definitely use it the honey rub on popcorn or pork or whatever you're going to use it's one of my favorites also love the steak and brisket rub and, of course, the sauce. Uh, when I'm not making my own sauce, if I'm going to go for a, a manufactured sauce, it is Butcher's Barbecue Sweet Barbecue Sauce for me. It's got the flavor profiles that uh, win with my mouth. And, obviously, they're doing very well in the competition scene, so give it a try. Buy six because it's going to run out really quick. And don't worry about breaking the bank when it comes to shipping. If you buy stuff that uh, totals over $200, it's free shipping. Uh, and it ranges anywhere uh, between that mix between $8.50 to $9.75, up to $200. Uh, anything more than $200 ships for free. Remember that. Get $200 worth of stuff and save on the shipping. You'll thank me later. Trust me. You go to ButcherBBQ.com. You stock up right now. Again, that's ButcherBBQ.com. Butcher's Barbecue. Always trust your butcher. All right, we're back with uh, Monty Brown right after this. Stick around. We will be right back. Seven seven four four eight zero four three three to get on the air. Now here's your host, Greg Rampy. 
right, welcome back. Uh, John Dawson weighing in. Patio Daddio. Gaucho Gabe brought it long and hard. Like the third grade. Great interview. Couldn't agree more, John. Appreciate you listening, of course. Providing the feedback. Look, if you want to get on the show, the easiest way, of course, is to drop me an email. You know damn well I'm probably going to read it. All right, my next guest is a competitive barbecuer and currently the reigning steak cook of all the land. Let's go ahead and race over to the hotline and welcome first-time guest and pitmaster of Trash Can Cookers, Monty Brown joining me here on the show. Monty, how are you, buddy? Well, I'm doing pretty good. How's everybody else doing tonight? Uh, everybody in Cleveland, Ohio, is uh, rocking out. No pun intended. <laughs> All right. Uh, so a uh, bunch of different stuff that we can talk with you, Monty. I've actually been uh, looking forward to talking with you probably for, uh, well, damn, uh, I don't remember when the steak cook-off was, but it, uh, it's probably coming up on a year here uh, sooner than later. Uh, yeah, back in May. We're going to go back again. So. Hey, there you go. All right. Um, now, as far as... You know, background in cooking, obviously, uh, we have the steak thing we can talk about. Uh, you're a competitive barbecue cook. You know, just in general, are you somebody that uh, had a family and, and friends that were really into uh, backyard cooking, uh, or is this something that maybe you decided to get into a little bit later in life? No, actually, back uh, back in 1991, my uncle used to go do a wild hog cook-off down in South Texas every year. We always went, and... I went there every year. It's just a one annual event. And then back around 2002 or three, invited me to, to cook a couple of them. They got an extra spot, you should say. Then 2011, there was a couple of IVCA uh, guys there that actually cooked the event. Got to visit with them, and then they turned me on to the actual sanctioning, you know, sanctioning event. So. It was uh, turned on from there. Uh, I don't want to sound like I'm showing my ass here. Uh, well, perhaps no pun intended, but what is a wild hog cook exactly? A wild, anything, it's, it's a basic, basically a cook-off that you cook anything wild hog. Any, any portion you want to turn in from a wild hog. Like uh, one with the, with the snout and the, and the teeth on the side? Oh, yeah. Snout, tusk, however you want to do it. Really? It's, uh, yeah, straight wild hog. Wow, is that safe? Oh yeah, we're cooking it. Wow, it'll be all right. Didn't hurt nobody. <laughs> uh, now, is is the better part of that the fact that uh, you you also are tasked to go out and hunt one, or are they provided for you? No, you actually bring it to the event. Wow, that's outrageous. So if you if you couldn't go out and hunt one yourself, Uh-oh. then you better know some buddies that know how to do it or catch one, trap one, however you want to do it, and. Make sure you got one before you go. Monty, we got to st- put together the wild hog <laughs> sanctioning competition scene of, uh, of all time. Thing would be, we would have a TV it's, show and a heartbeat. Are you kidding me? It's pretty interesting, too, because they're pretty lean, so you don't have as much fat as you do on a, on a domestic hog. But, yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting. So aside from the, the wild hog stuff and obviously the steak and the competition barbecue, are you into any other uh, competition food events, or are you pretty much uh, stop at that gamut? No, pretty much right now all I do is your uh, your sanctioning events as far as barbecue and then steak cook-offs. That's where I've kind of landed right now. How do you come up with the name Trash Can Cookers? When I first started doing sanctioning events, I originally started with the Homemade offset pit, went to one event, uh, teamed up with my father-in-law there for a little bit, and we 
tried it, didn't work. I mean, it was just feeding the fuel. I mean, it wasn't insulated. It wasn't anything fancy. It was just a all-day deal, just trying to fuel that thing. So got to reading a lot about UDSs, and uh, that's how I became trash can cookers when I bought those three, uh, designed them, fixed them. You know, it's pretty much everything's online, how to, you know, how to create them and, and make them work, and they're pretty simple. And that's how I started, and that's where the the name came from. Monty Brown is my guest, Pitmaster Trash Can Cookers. Uh, Monty, are you mostly an IBCA cooker when it comes to the the sanctioned stuff, or will you you get out and and do some other sanctioning bodies as well? No, I'll do any sanctioned body that there is. I'll go anywhere. Do you have a... Yes, IBCA, Texas Gulf Coast, you name it. Wow. Do you have a, a particular favorite if you had to choose between them, or it doesn't matter? Well, IBCA is more centrally located around me so that's my choice as of now i love kcbs we're slowly getting more of them down here and uh i mean those those, those are my favorite now uh Texas Gulf coast is working on a few new things which is going to be interesting and hoping it works out and i'll be starting leaning more towards that from you know from here on out have you seen the competition side of barbecue grow since your time in the sport? Like, are you surprised that you have seen uh, so many uh, clubs and organizations and uh, other sanctioning bodies just kind of show up all of a sudden? That uh, did you did you think that when you got into it, it would be as intense and as growing as it is currently? No, I mean there there was cookoffs we used to go to when I first started that were average, you know, 15 to 25 teams. You know, you'd have several that were 75 to 100. I mean, now, I mean, it's they're pretty much all consistently over, you know, 30 teams to 50 to, you know, now we have those invitationals and different things that they put on now that, you know, we're getting 150 teams. And so it's it's grown a lot since I started. And it's exciting because that's that's my favorite part. You know, you get into a big contest with a a bunch of teams. That's where you feel like you can make your stuff shine, and it turns into a whole different game. And too, you know how how you make your stuff taste cold and what it's going to taste like cold. And it's I'm excited about it. It's it's just gotten so huge. I'm ready. You know, you, you just mentioned something, and I, rarely do we kind of talk about it except uh, maybe a few times, but it is really important if you're going to be a good competition cook, and it sounds almost uh, counterproductive, but you have to be able to have your food taste really freaking good, either lukewarm or cold, because typically that's how the judges are going to taste it, right? Exactly. It could be, you know, that first table gets it, it's nice, it's, you know, it's pretty hot yet, and then the next round it might not be so this is IBCA too you know you're going through different round judging so by the time you get to the final table it's already been through four rounds of prelims let's say then you get to your final table well it's already cold that box has been opened up you know 30 40 times it's it's already cold so it's got to taste good there too Monty Brown from Trash Can Cookers is my guest uh, Monty, if I could, we uh, kind of transition over, uh, and I'm a little, I'm going to be a little uh, indulgent here on my own. Uh, let's talk. About, let's talk about steak for a second. I mean, it's, okay. I mean, I love steak like nobody's business. I could eat steak 
for dinner, breakfast, and lunch every day of the week. Um, different I cuts. It. I mean, I, I love every single cut. Well, I'm not a big fan of uh, filet myself. I think that's uh, way overhyped, and it's it's pretty bland flavor-wise. But any other uh, cut, I'm, I'm down with. So when we talk about the uh, steak cook-off that you were uh, able to win last year, um, how many times had you competed in that uh, particular uh, steak cook-off prior to, to taking the win? In that particular state cook-off, that was the, the world championship that's your, where you gain your world title. It was my first year to be there. Wow. And I had a rough experience there at the beginning. When I got there, we they give you so many steaks, you know, to cook for public, depending on the size of your pit. And then uh, you get so many tickets to do whatever you want to, where you can go try their steaks or not, or you use those tickets for the extra steaks that you have. And I did some practice runs right before turn-in, just trying to tweak it down. And we had a bad experience. I mean, I was actually getting people in my state to, here, just try this, taste it. And it came out so bad, it was it was, it was was pathetic. It just turned out real salty for some reason, what have you. And then the one steak that I had keyed my eye on the whole time for my turn-in steak, I put it on there, got it going. It was looking good, made my decision to keep it and turn it in. And sure enough, it was uh, the World Championship State. Wow. Just like yeah, that? Yeah, great. <laughs> yeah. Evidently, if you're uh, taking World Championship Steak on. <laughs> so obviously, the, the question that everybody's going to ask me to ask is if you would be uh, at all open to uh, kind of laying out your uh, steak cooking process. I mean, we talked to pitmasters on the show uh, each and every week, uh, some of the, I guess, what some would consider to be uh, the top steak cooks out there in the country right now. But, of course, uh, nobody can really lay claim to that better than you. You have the title to prove it. How do you think is the best way to go about uh, cooking a steak? And as uh, perhaps as, as a uh, preface answer to that, are, is your competition steak cooked differently than you would normally cook it in the backyard, or is it kind of one and the same? I actually do my steaks this way in the backyard, and it's a, it's a method that several people have used. I don't know if they've used it in comp or not. I'm a huge reverse sear fan. So I like to take my steak, put on a nice slow heat at about 220 to 225, and I'll bring that internal temperature up to that steak to about 100 degrees. Then I pull it off, tray it, let it sit, get my grates, you know, grill grates are the hugest thing for me because I'll get those and I can sit there and temp them. I get them up to 700 degrees, basically put them on there for 45 seconds, quarter turn, 45 seconds flip, and do the same thing again, and you're sitting there pretty much right at medium for turning steaks. Now, we like them medium rare, but I mean, that's how, I mean, it's that simple for me. And I just, I'm a huge fan of reverse here. That's, that's my biggest thing. So in, in the competition itself, it, it does have to meet a certain temperature specification in order to be legal to turn in? For most steak cook-offs, yes. All your sanctioned steak cook-offs are all medium. So 135, well, 140 to 145 right in there is where you want to, you know, where your target temp is for those steaks. And then, of course, at the house, you cook them how you want them, but. How many steak contests are there that you can take part in? 
I believe right now there's about 40 throughout the year. 40? Yes, and oh. it's growing. Wow. Since SCA took it over, it's just starting to starting to grow. They're starting to get the association built up a lot bigger and better, and it's it's coming along, and they're they're doing a great job, and it's it's going to be huge. And it's so easy, you know, for anybody to get into because you don't have to have much to do it. I mean, it's a one-day event. You roll in, take out your Weber, cook your steaks, pack it up, and you're done. Wow. You go home. There's no overnight. Like, what's a, what's a payout if if I win a steak cook-off? Just in, you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be the the top or the bottom end, but just in general, like, what's a what's a winner taking home? Uh, generally, at the, at the World Championships, you take home four thousand dollars for that one steak wow. they provide. Then you've got several down here that are a thousand dollars each. You know, for for grand champ, I mean, for first place steaks. Yep. Uh, so the payouts. It's great, and then for SCA, they provide all the states. You just pay your entry, which is generally one hundred and fifty to two hundred, and it's just a one-time deal. And roll in, roll out. There's no overnights. There's no extra expense. You don't have the big trailers, and you, know, you can actually throw everything. I went all the way up there in the bed of my pickup with my Weber grill, and, and that's how I did it. Yeah, you now, can of be- course, I got a hotel room, but. <laughs> Hey. I was actually loving it. <laughs> you can be a world champion by rolling in in your pickup truck and you can leave the same day, and you don't gonna have all that other stuff like That's you do with the uh, like it's being so popular in the competition barbecue circuit. Uh, Monty, do you have a favorite cut of steak? If we were gonna go to the butcher, what do you uh, what are you picking out? How thick is it gonna be? What do you like? I love ribeye steaks, inch and a quarter to inch and a half. Can That's you can, can, can you go too thick on a steak? Could you? I mean, I, I like I'm inch and a half minimum. And I'll go to two inches if I'm feeling uh, robust in the appetite. But can you get too thick? Does it become I more like a roast at some point? I, I don't. Well, I've never really gone more than two inches. Uh, I, you know, I usually, you know, inch and a half is kind of where I stay at. But with the reverse sear method, you can't really go wrong with it. It's just how long you have to leave it in there to bring up that temperature real slow and then. You'll see it when you cut into it. It'll be just perfectly all the way through to the middle, and you'll just be loving it. Now, when you win, uh, you know the the World Stake Championships. Is that something that you are uh, potentially able to immediately parlay into the Monty Brown uh, World Championship Steak Cooking classes and, and make a little extra cheddar on the side with the neighborhood people um, and so forth? I actually don't have any classes. I haven't done any of that. Uh, I haven't looked at that. I haven't looked at selling my rub. I haven't uh, experienced any of that yet. I've just enjoy cooking and just want to go and compete. I love competing. It's just been something I've always done from back when I was in high school and junior high rodeoing and stuff like that. I just love to compete. So I've been very fortunate enough that I've had a lot of people help me, and I just really have not gone out there and tried to sell anything yet and i'm just kind of enjoying it right now you said you were going to be uh, heading back to uh, defend the stake title this year yes we go back to the world championships here in uh, may i think it's 17th 16th 17th we head out uh, we're going to do a uh, it's an awesome event this year because they're going to bring back the previous 24 world championship state cooks and then we're going to have our own competition wow. and then we're also going to compete against everybody else that's going to be there so it's really going to be fun 
and that's going to be exciting to compete against all of the other previous world championships in its own private event. Where is that held at? Magnolia, Arkansas. Wow. Magnolia, Arkansas. So you're going to be heading back down there to, uh, A, do like the uh, Tournament of Champions, and then you're going to also do the uh, that year's state cook-off event looking to uh, defend. So uh, this is Monty Brown, uh, again, the reigning state champion, also pitmaster of the Trash Can Cookers Barbecue Competition cooking team. Uh, Monty, really appreciate the time and the, uh, the tips tonight. Thanks for doing it. Hey, no problem. There he is, Monty Brown, Trash Can Cookers. Uh, no website that I could find, but uh, you can certainly uh, look them up on Facebook, obviously. They do have a uh, active Facebook page, and if you are in the chat room right now, I believe uh, Jeff Starks has linked up their Facebook page for your review. And, uh, you know, maybe uh, Jeff will, or Jeff, maybe Monty will uh, answer any questions that you might have. Seems like a forthcoming enough guy. Not looking to profit off of his stake success. He's a much better man than me. I would be pouring out to the every last thin gilder. <laughs> All right, folks. Tasty Licks Barbecue Supply, known for the amazing wide selection of cookers, sauces, rubs, and all things for both the backyard cook and, like Monty, the serious competition team. Uh, they have it if you need it. They sell the Big Green Egg, the Kamado Joes, the Primo Ceramics, Mac, and Green Mountain Pellet Grills all of the Weber grills and the smokers, as well as Meadow Creek smokers and cookers. They're the largest barbecue guru dealer in the country and the very first to offer professional and amateur cooking classes. Featuring well-known chefs like uh, Harry Sue, Todd Johns, PA Midnight Smokers, which is about to go down. Call Fred Bernardo, the smoking guitar player. Or anything you want, Signore Bernardo. Just buy something for crying out loud. Anyway, I mean, call him or his friendly staff, 800 677 2882, that's 800-677-2882, or just go on over to your internet and look them up at tastylicksbbq.com, or you can click on their logo on my homepage. And don't forget, Smoke Guitar Player, over 150 videos on the website, most of them, he doesn't even try and sell you anything. He's just dropping mad barbecue and grilling silence on that behind, like a good man should. Again, that's Tasty Lakes Barbecue Supply in beautiful and tropical downtown Shillington, Pennsylvania. If you're in the neighborhood, stop by. They're always cooking something. You can probably get some free eats from Fred. You tell him you're Centralite. Probably hook you up with some cool swag. You never know. TastyLakesBBQ.com. That's TastyLakesBBQ.com. 800-677-2882. We're, uh, we're going to wrap the first hour. Coming right back. Stick around. Big name interviews, advice on cooking brisket and ribs, and the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue, it's the Barbecue Central Show. We are back. 216-220-0966. Greg at the BBQ Central Show.com. That's the way to get in touch with me should you see fit. 
Uh, thanks again to Monty Brown for joining me last segment and uh, kind of laying out the steak method. Look, I understand that, uh, you know, there's always that running the fine line, walking the thin line of uh, being a over-questioning host. That's, what you know, what I got to do. You know, I'm always refreshed when a world champion like uh, Monty or, you know, some of these other barbecue cooks that really don't have any problem kind of giving up the technique. And, uh, you know, there's nothing obviously fancy, a lot of practice going on. But if you know the reverse sear method, which is obviously one of the most popular ways to cook a steak, then uh, give it a try. Uh, I recommend always an inch and a half at least. That's what she said. Um Try the reverse sear. Uh, uh, you know, one of my favorite ways is uh, we call it the Michael McDearman method, the McDee method of cooking steaks. Uh, lower temperature and shooting for an internal finish instead of, you know, just by time. A lot of people like to do it by time. Uh, obviously, it sounds like Monty is also uh, doing internal temperature as well. So uh, look for him. Again, uh, it's uh, facebook.com slash pages slash trash hyphen can slash cookers or a uh, hyphen cookers. Look him up on the Facebook. Also, thanks to Gabriel Garcia in the first interview segment talking about his cooker and asado. Uh, Gaucho Gabriel or Gaucho Garcia. If you didn't check it out or see the video while uh, or you joined late, go go to that video, uh, that website right now and check out the video. I mean, it's, it's a spectacular piece of equipment. Can't wait. All right. Uh, we're heading into the second hour. We got some good stuff. I will, uh, for those that have asked, recount my time at NASCAR this past weekend in Richmond. Got some video and some pictures and stuff. Uh, so stick around for that. We'll be right back. Uh, ending the first, heading to the second. It's the Barbecue Central Show right here on the Barbecue Central Network. From my heart and from my hand, why don't people understand my intention? Happy to have you aboard here for the really big barbecue show. We cook because we have to, and we grill because we want to. Fine, how's it going? <laughs> you have a great show, I'm a big fan. So what 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 seems to be the problem here? This man looks like he's dead and he's in the in the crackle. Charbono! It's all about the Charbono, dude! Succulent fish, what? He ate fifty four wieners. But listen, Lavernia, shake face. I'm shaking like a dog shit peach seeds. <laughs> we have top men working on it right now. Top men. All right, just like that, we are into the second hour. Uh, this, my friends, is the Barbecue Central show. It is a show that talks about all things important in the world of barbecue and grilling. We broadcast live and direct from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame city of Cleveland, Ohio. It is the barbecue capital of the North Coast, here at least. Uh, you can get in touch with the show by dialing 216-220-0966. You can also email greg at the bbqcentralshow.com. Uh, still to come tonight, Jim Book coming up next segment. For, uh, CEO from Lynx Grills. Lynxgrills.com. Check them out. L-Y-N-X grills.com. Check them out. Drool like me. Also, uh, helping me close out the show tonight, uh, Rhythm and Q going to be talking about their uh, win at the Sam's Club Regional. It'll be Alexa Fairbairn and Vince Carocci will be joining me. Two people in an interview. That worked out well last week. 
big step out of here. Uh, the 2014 Sam's Club Series rolled into Salt Lake City. Uh, no, rolled into Las Vegas, Nevada this uh, past weekend, and uh, had that little regional final. And I did not update that portion of my giddy up, so forgive me. The uh, top ten teams moving out of the Las Vegas regional final and will be going to Bentonville, Arkansas on September 27th. Uh, grand champion is again, we'll have them here in about 25 minutes or so, Rhythm and Q. Uh, Harry Sue and Slap Yo Daddy finished reserve grand. Uh, look at this. Finished third in the local, turned around a couple weeks later, finishes third in the regional. She will be heading to Bentonville, Arkansas. Loyal Central Light and Pitmaster of Lake House Barbecue, Diane Mead. Third overall. Look at that. Uh, Lucky 13 finishes fourth. Joe Bob's Barbecue, fifth. Luton Booty Barbecue, sixth. Smoking Hot Butts Barbecue, seventh. Big B's Down and Dirty. He was on the show. Joe. Uh, number nine, Son of Smoke, and rounding out the top ten, Bad Bones Barbecue. Big Shot Barbecue, one chicken, Smoking Hot Butts Barbecue, one pork, Rolling Bones Traveling Barbecue Circus, one ribs, and Smoking Hot Butts Barbecue, one brisket. There you go. So we're looking forward to that, although that's uh, many months away from now. So you ten that moved on, keep practicing. You only got seven months left before you have the big one. Okay. All right, so uh, people were asking about my experience this past weekend. Uh, typically, I don't like to talk about what I do during the day because I do have a day job. A lot of people think that I uh, make the wonderful, substantially money-kept living off of this show. I'm here to break some bad news to you. That is not the case. Uh, in my real life, I work for a private operator of 50-passenger aircraft, uh, you can check it out at Fly ADI, like Alpha uh, Delta India, flyadi.com. Uh, but we um, own a fleet of ERJ-145s, and uh, my mission there is to uh, get people to uh, charter with us. So we do on-demand charter. So if you had a bunch of people that were looking to go somewhere, you call me up, I give you a quote. Uh, the majority of our business is done through NCAA uh, during the months of November through uh, April, uh, traveling uh all of the Division One major teams, we were uh, pri or we were uh, the exclusive carrier of both Ohio State University and Clemson this past season. Uh, so, uh, one of the vertical markets I was tasked with is uh, NASCAR, and I started calling on them in November and uh, had a couple deals with some uh, had some uh, a few deals on the table ish with some of the top teams in the industry, uh, Michael Waltrip Racing, who has a sense actually closed our complete air department altogether. Also had a multiplane deal with uh, Richard Childress Racing or RCR, and then that didn't really happen. So I was a little bummed out, and then lo and behold, uh, some guy that we had flew once, a team that we had flew once last year at the Texas race uh, called BK Racing. They have the 23 and the 83 car, and they actually just picked up a third car, the 26, uh, from a Swan Racing, which has essentially gone out of business. And we uh, made the trek on down to the Richmond Airport on uh, Saturday. So let me go ahead and uh, grab all the pictures that I got here. And you can share in my adventure. So here's me and my uh, CEO getting ready to get in our own uh, chartered uh, dual prop, which, you know, 
Not very big now. Uh, to show you exactly how not big it is, this is my view from the back seat. Uh, that's the front of the plane, ladies and gentlemen. That's my pilot, Paul, right there. Uh, so we flew down an hour and 25 minutes into Richmond out of uh, Cleveland Ac Canton Airport. And I uh, got some other cars here. So, you know, I had the uh, the hot pass, as it were, and uh, that gained me exit or uh, entry into uh, all the pit areas. This is the 26 car that uh, BK Racing just got into. And look, uh, if you look very close on the uh, the B-roll right there, there's our uh, ADI sponsorship tag right there. This is the 23 Dr. Pepper car uh, driven by Alex uh, Bowman, who just turned 21 over the weekend. He's a, a pretty good rookie driver, I guess. And uh, there's me and my uh, CEO standing in front of the car. Here's another B-roll uh, there with the aerodynamic sticker, which is uh, cool. And then here's uh, me with uh, Ryan Truex, driver of the 83. I'm sorry, that's my boss, uh, Scott, with Ryan Truex. And uh, here's some more. Oh, 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 okay, hold on a second. Don't need to see that yet. Uh, here's a look uh, down the pit road because I had full pit road access. Where? Oh, here's my uh, here's me with uh, Ryan right there. I'm on the right hand side. Uh, Ryan, you can see I a tower over Ryan Truex. He is the size of a 12 uh, year old boy. Get that big stuff out of here. Uh, pit road again. Uh, you can see on the left hand side the BK Racing pit box. Uh, this is actually where I watched the race from in the pit box. And uh, this is our car here, the uh, 83 uh, uh, Voodoo Barbecue. I mean, it just so happened that Voodoo Barbecue sponsored the race uh, for the number 83 car uh, this past weekend. Oh, sorry. Um, let me get a... Do I have a better shot? That's what the inside of, an in, uh, of a uh, NASCAR looks like, in case you've never seen a NASCAR. Uh, but again, this is our... Uh, the guy that took the picture is like, get down by the ADI sticker so you can have your uh, picture of your ADI sticker. Um, can I rotate this? Yes. Uh, there's pit box again. Uh, this is what it looked like kind of building into the race. The cars were out and uh, getting ready to go. There's our 83 Voodoo Barbecue, uh, which is a very cool-looking car. Uh, it didn't finish very well. That's for sure. A uh, little pit road action getting ready to go. And uh, let me uh, pull off some video here for you. Hold on. Uh, this is the uh, lap prior to green. So you can see them getting ready. Big stains. So it's pretty loud. No doubt about it. Pretty loud in there. And then uh, this is uh, green dropping for the first time. a little bit faster than they were just going there on that pace lap for sure. This is what it looks like in our car coming out. Uh, this is the mayhem look down while the race is going on. I mean, this is a scene. I mean, are you kidding me? A scene. Alright, and here is the um, the uh, here's a, a pit uh, what do you call it? A pit stop. I believe. Check this out. This is cool. This is a pit stop. Here it comes. 
Um, so the question is, you know, because you're that close, because you're walking on, uh, on the, uh, the grounds and you saw this stuff firsthand and blah, 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 you know, are you a, uh, are you a NASCAR fan? Are you converted? Are you going to be watching each and every Sunday? And, uh, look, uh, the simple answer is this. No. Look, I know if you're a huge fan of NASCAR, you're going to find it hard to believe, but uh, you saw my limited window of how the race was. I only saw this this much of it. Uh, Luckily, the pit boxes had TV, so I could actually watch the rest of the race. And, uh, you know, maybe it would be different if I was in the stands and I got the full scope, or if I was at one of the, the super speedways, like if I was going to Talladega this weekend and saw 200 mile an hour racing. But uh, after lap 100 of 400, it was a little boring. I mean, I certainly appreciate and respect how powerful everything was. That is without question. Or how accessible NASCAR is to the fans and what a great job they're doing. But am I a fan? No. Still not a fan. I wanted to be a fan. Couldn't be a fan. Plus, I don't understand how you can go in with a car that's faster than everybody else, and then when you come out of the pit stop, it's not nearly as fast as it was 40 seconds before. I don't get it. I know what I do get. Automatic pit temperature control devices from the Barbecue Guru. That's right. Man, oh man, these little beauties are wonderful. Many of you are busy working professionals like me. Perhaps you are constantly on the run with the kids doing errands. Quite frankly, you don't have the time to set around in 10 pit temperatures. The Guru allows you to throw on a pork butt, a brisket, a couple slabs of ribs, and then you're just off to do whatever it is you need to get done, and the Guru maintains that pit temperature you set it at. There's currently a number of different models to choose from. The, Of course, the CyberQ Wi-Fi, which is taking over market share like crazy, especially in the competition circuit. If there's a hotspot connection, you can Easily log on through your smart device, a netbook, a laptop, computer, tablet device, whatever you got. And uh, once you have the proper software up and running, you can monitor what's happening in your pit right from there. No need to get out of bed anymore. You don't need to go outside to make temperature adjustments. No, no. You can do it all from your uh, particular device that you have your stuff loaded on. If you're cooking too slow, you can ramp up the temperature. If you're cooking too fast, you can uh, take the temperature down in the pit. You can monitor internal temperatures of your meat. Forget about it. This is the cat's meow of automatic temperature control device. I said cat's meow. Now, maybe you want to do entry level. No problem. Got you hooked up on that end as well. For $129, you get the Party Cube. Self-contained. It runs on AA batteries. It can go from one cooker to the next to the next. It can go on a Weber Smoky Mountain. It can go on a Weber Kettle. It can also go on a lot of the ceramic stuff. Now, if you're going to do ceramic, $10 more for that extra adapter for the bottom vent. But well worth it. And, of course... They make cookers as well, Onyx Oven. That works seamlessly with all of the Barbecue Guru pit temperature control devices. Holds half and full pans for food service. A ton of meat. Fully insulated. It's great. Do yourself a favor. Head on over to thebbqguru.com and check out their products. If you have any questions about what to order, call them directly at 800-288-GURU. That's 800 
288-GURU. They'll make sure you're outfitted with exactly what you need to get you up and running right out of the box at 800-288-GURU or thebbqguru.com, the barbecue guru, a breakthrough in barbecue technology. We're back with Jim Book right after this. Stick around. Central Radio Network Studios in Cleveland, Ohio. You're listening to the Barbecue Central Radio Show. Once again, here's your host, Greg Rempe. All right, we're back to 16-220-0966. Greg at the BBQCentralShow.com. My first guest of the second hour tonight. CEO for one of, if not the premier high-end outdoor cooking and living companies in the country. We are going to be chatting about that uh, this segment, so let's go ahead and head on over to the phones and welcome in first-time guest to the show and CEO of Lynx Grill, Jim Book. Jim, how are you? I'm great, uh, Greg, and thank you very much uh, for having me on tonight. Good evening to your listeners. Yeah, absolutely my pleasure. Appreciate you making time tonight, Jim. Um, you know, if I guess if you don't mind kind of laying out a little groundwork for us, if you could give us some background about yourself and uh, about Lynx Grills as well. Uh, absolutely. Um, I've been a CEO for uh, more years than I care to remember, um, and I've been, been lucky to have success in consumer products companies, uh, particularly for the home. Um, I knew the investment firm that owned Lynx uh, for many years, and an opportunity opened up for me to come in as the CEO uh, in September of 2012. Uh, I absolutely love grilling. Uh, my wife and I grill five or six nights a week year-round, and uh, I had a Lynx uh, long before I came here. So this was a dream come true to actually step in and uh, and uh, lead a company that uh, makes such a great product. The investment company that uh, had interest with it uh, as they were bringing you on, did they have some uh, tasks or uh, concerns where Lynx was uh, prior to you kind of taking over the helm and, and where they wanted to see it grow over the years as you uh, took control? The, the primary goal was to uh, focus on specific uh, consumer needs and find ways uh, to really grow the company, um, hopefully in a dramatic fashion. Um, 2013 was our, our first full year, and uh, we were uh, we, we were blessed to have uh, a, an absolutely record year. So uh, I, I, hopefully we're on the right path. Uh, Jim Book joining me here on the show, CEO of Lynx Grills, the website, of course, Lynx, L-Y-N-X, grills.com. Uh, you know, I think for as long as I have been kind of really into this industry and, and covering in a number of different ways, I've always, uh, not to uh, dumb down the adjective, drooled over the products uh, that Lynx brings to the market. Uh, how does uh, Lynx, and, and how do you guys decide uh, what items to offer to the market? How are you assessing uh, what niche might need to be fi filled or what niche could be uh, improved upon uh, by Lynx taking over? Uh, how does that whole scheme go down? We spend a huge amount of time listening to uh, salespeople who are on the retail floor, uh, uh, you know, of our of our dealer network. We've got about 1,200 dealers across the country. Wow. 
Um, and it's certainly one of my favorite things to do is to go out and actually spend time on the floor and understand, you know, what the consumers are saying, uh, what we could do better, uh, what we need to do more of, um, and bring that back, uh, and then, uh, put our R and D department, uh, to the test of you know, how do we make this, this product, you know, mom friendly, dad ready. We are completely focused on the family. Um, and uh, that's the test we use uh, with just about everything we do. You know, I don't think I'm uh, stating the outrageous here, but Lynx is synonymous with high-end equipment. And, of course, uh, there's a uh, proper price tag that follows with that. What's the target demographic that Lynx is kind of going after, and, and how do you stay in front of them to keep market share in an ever-growing ever and changing industry aside from you know, the, the floor time that you were talking about? Uh, great question. Um, we have two product lines. We have Sedona by Lynx, um, which is uh, a, a, a less pricey, more affordable product line that we introduced uh, at the beginning of last season that has had explosive growth. Um, and that's targeted for uh, targeted at, at really aspirational customers, homeowners in the age range of, of say, 30 to 45 years old, um, maybe just uh, approaching a household income of, of maybe six figures, uh, where our professional series, which we've had uh, since the beginning of the company back in 1996, uh, that, is, uh, that is the ultimate in outdoor kitchen um, and is really targeted towards a more affluent demographic. You know, I guess it would seem, and it's uh, completely um, myopic on my end, I guess you would say, uh, the people that are in that upper echelon of income, uh, I wouldn't necessarily uh, translate to them being the guys and the gals that would get out into the backyard uh, each and every weekend or, or, like yourself, five, six times a week and turn the grill on and cook. They would you know, go out or they would have somebody else prepare that for them. Uh, is that not the case? Is that a, 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 miss, uh, a, a misguess on my part? Yeah, I think a little bit because um, what – the, the the customers that we're we're looking at, you know, even the more affluent customers, are um, very much into the home and the home experience. And you know, one of the hottest trends, and I, I think we we would think of it as as the hottest trend, is you know the outdoor living experience, and actually you know looking at your backyard and creating a, an extension of your inner living space to your backyard. Um, not just with outdoor kitchen, but with pool and spa and lighting and hardscape and, and really having, you know, a wonderful environment to spend time, uh, to spend, to spend uh, family time in. So, you know, our, our customers love to grill. Uh, and it's not just for entertaining, it's for everyday use as well. Uh, so uh, it's surprisingly, we're not talking about, I think, a customer um, who would, uh, ask their butler to go out and, and you know, prepare a steak for them. Um, this, these are people that are really into the experience of doing it themselves. You know, it's funny that you mentioned that because one of my questions uh, was, you know, if you look at, uh, you know, a 10 or maybe even a 15 year ago, you know, it was cool to grill, but there didn't seem to be, you know, such a robust desire from folks to have that outdoor gathering place to really allow them to cook and eat and store items and, uh, have these outdoor heaters to remain, you know, nice and comfortable if you're getting into the cooler portions of the evening. Uh, you know, is there anything specifically that uh, you can attribute, you know, that kind of uh, desire and that kind of movement to, hey, let's not go out, let's 
you know, not spend money on this. Instead, let's, you know, expand the home, not by putting roof over it, but uh, putting out patio block and bringing in these outdoor kitchens. Uh, that really seems to be an ever-growing market even to this day. Uh, I think you're exactly right. I think people are into, uh, I think what demographers would call uh, a, a nesting uh, type of, uh, of, of mode where um, they really look at the, at the home as uh, overall a, a place where they want to spend time. I, I think you've seen that on the indoor side with uh, the explosion in high-end brands for, for indoor kitchen, media rooms for home theater, um, and then you know outdoor kitchen in terms of extending your your lifestyle to the outside and and generally you know what what we think is you know people work particularly that are that are cooped up inside all day uh, when they get home uh, after work they want to go outside they don't want to necessarily stay inside uh, and so we see this as a trend that is uh, going to be driven by a number of factors for uh, for the foreseeable future. Jim Book joining me here on the show. He is the CEO for Lynx Grills, lynxgrills.com, the website, if you want to check it out here while we're chatting a little bit. Uh, Jim, you'd mentioned the Sedona. You mentioned the, the professional uh, models, the kind of the, the flagships that you have there in the product line. If you, I mean, you can break it down by, uh, by model if you want, but, you know, as far as Lynx compared to uh, other grills, and there's, you know, obviously a huge uh, gamut of low-end, high-end, what do you think separates uh, the make and and how you uh, have the features and the benefits? What do you think separates Lynx grills maybe from some of the the higher end grills like a, a Viking and, and some of those other ones? I think the very first thing that will strike you about a Lynx grill uh, is the fit and finish, um, the polished hand polished mirrored edges, the blue LED lighting, uh, the beautiful grain of the stainless steel itself. I mean, it, it's just, it's an elegant product, um, and it's just very beautiful. Um, open the hood, and this is where the horsepower really exists. Um, our, our searing, our pro-sear burner is the only variable temperature infrared burner uh, in the industry, uh, and is almost instantly responsive from 300 degrees to 1,000 degrees surface temperature. Wow. So it it's just it's an incredibly versatile uh, cooking platform uh, that can do a number of different things uh, that uh, competitive grills haven't quite figured out yet. Uh, even uh, even like a, a tech who I guess would be seen as the preeminent um, uh, infrared uh, burner people. When I was looking at infrared grills five six years ago, uh, it was tech and everybody else behind. Uh, have they kind of fallen off uh, from your guys' research? I, I think tech is the father of infrared. Um, they are—they were the ones that, that introduced it um, when their uh, when their patent ran out. Everybody jumped on the bandwagon. <laughs> I think that uh, that what we've done is we've taken the the wonderful concept that they introduced to the market, um, and we've made it a, a variable temperature uh, a burner in cooking zone. Uh, where most other sear, you know, infrared searing burners are, are on and off. And the problem with that is you have to, you know, when you're done searing, whether you're doing it in the beginning or using a reverse sear, that portion of the cooking surface isn't really accessible except during the, the searing step. And, you know, with our grills, you're able to use it uh, for the entire cooking uh, experience. 
Jim, you know, I've seen a, a number of terrific outside kitchens. I've actually been uh, showing some pictures while we've been chatting of uh, great outdoor kitchens. And Lynx pieces are even uh, are either like a portion of that whole thing or they're completely uh, Lynx driven. Is that something, uh, a service that Lynx will provide, that built-in island or, or kitchen type of a thing, consulting work for clients looking to, to set that kind of thing up? Absolutely. Um, we have a, a for, particularly for our professional series, um, we have uh, in, in kitchen design, in, outdoor kitchen designers um, in a design service where you can go to our website and download a questionnaire, send it into us, uh, and then our designers within about a week will turn around uh, one or more concepts uh, for your outdoor kitchen. Uh, based on questions such as, you know, where's the prevailing wind coming from? Where's the view? Uh, how much entertaining do you expect to do? Uh, and it's, uh, it, I think it's very helpful for people to begin to, to visualize this, particularly if they don't have uh, experience in building out an outdoor kitchen. So as I had mentioned before, you know, big fan of the brand and the products, but I guess what really triggered my desire to get uh, you on the show and have this interview was this uh, smart grill style technology that I saw unveiled at a few of the industry trade shows a little bit earlier. Uh, maybe you could give me a little more detail and insight on what that's all about and how that actually works, because I found it absolutely fascinating. Um, smart grill uh, is a high-performance stainless steel gas grill uh, that we developed over the last couple of years as a concept grill, uh, much the same way that a, uh, an auto manufacturer would introduce a, a concept car at an auto show. We wanted to prove a, a technology. And what we wanted to do is we wanted to take the, the power, the computing power of the smart devices that exist in so many homes, um, the wireless network which exists in, in so many homes, uh, and give the grill the ability to, to really cooperate uh, with the consumer uh, to, to accomplish a number of different things. Smart Grill is, is interactive um, with the griller, uh, either through the smart device or through voice recognition, so you can actually have a conversation uh, with the grill. You know, for example, the starting point is to say Smart Grill preheat, and it will re then respond preheating, and it automatically turns itself on and goes through the preheating cycle. Wow. Uh, what, what we wanted to do, and, and, and you know, those of us that, that love to grill, and I, your listening audience would be at the top of that, that pyramid, sure. um, know that when you're grilling, you sort of have to hang around the grill. So what we wanted to do is give the, that time-constrained homeowner the ability to, to step back um, and not have to you know, stand in the vicinity of the grill during the entire experience. So when the grill needs you to do something, whether it's put the food on, flip the food, take the food off, it sends you a text message. And it says, you've got to come back and, and do this. Um, and if you're not responsive, it starts bugging you. It starts sending you a number of text messages, and after 30 seconds, turns the heat down to hold it till you can get back. Wow. And, and we've all had the experience where... Uh, we, we put our food on the grill, and then the phone rings, the, the doorbell rings, the dogs and the kids are fighting or whatever, and we're all distracted, and we forget about the grill, and that ends up being a night for takeout. And so we wanted to solve, solve that problem. Uh, second thing we wanted to do is, is give the grill uh, some pre-programmed algorithms. So 
for example, uh, if you wanted to, to grill scallops, it knows the cooking time and temperature uh, for, for those scallops. And so it will automatically uh, tell you when you've got to flip and when you've got to pull them off. It tells you when the cooking surface temperature is exactly the right, uh, uh, at the right temperature for that entree. Um, and these are pre-programmed recipes uh, and cooking algorithms in the grill. But one of the coolest features of Smart Grill is that it has the ability to learn. Because as we were developing the software, we, we recognized or had an epiphany that, you know, doneness, for example, medium, is in the taste buds of the person enjoying the food. We've, we've all had the experience of ordering something at a restaurant, um, medium or medium rare, and it comes and it's not done quite right to our taste. Right. So one of the very cool features of Smart Grill is that when you, when you put your entree on, it asks you if you would like it done the same way as last time, because it remembers the last time it cooked that entree for you. And you can add or subtract time to actually program the, the grill uh, to achieve the doneness that you're looking for. And so over the course of three or four preparations of that entree, you end up with uh, the entree done exactly as you would have it. Uh, much the same way as if you had a professional chef in your backyard uh, that was going to prepare the steak for you, for example. First thing that chef would ask you is, how do you like it done? Right. And then when the chef served you, the chef would come back and say, how was it? <laughs> was it done to your likeness? And over the course of you know, grilling that, that entree for you three or four times, that chef would get it exactly right. And that's why we named the operating system for Smart Grill my chef technology and is this this is available for sale right now or is it still in uh, concept stage then we're going to introduce it um for uh the production model um, at the consumer electronics show this coming january in 2015. wow do you have a, an anticipated price tag on that uh we we think it will be uh, approximately a 20 percent premium to the uh, to the current grills that we have that do not have the smart, uh, the smart grill technology. So that, that works out to be a $1,200 to $1,500 premium uh, uh, versus the, the current price of the grills. All right. So, uh, you know, not, uh, not a huge uh, increase over what you're currently getting for what seems to be like having a uh, person standing in the background, except they're not going to be pissed off at you when you uh, leave them in the dark overnight or in the rain. Uh, and uh, it's going to be able to learn exactly what you're cooking. You know, Jim, technology seems to be integrating into the most basic items anymore if it doesn't get any more basic in its essence as, you know, grilling and live fire cooking. How important is it for Lynx to be seen kind of as a leader and an innovator from that front as well, uh, that being technology, of course? You know, at Lynx, we think of ourselves as a technology company that makes grills. Um, we, we're very focused on trying new and different ways to push the envelope. Smart Grill is just really the latest and probably the most dramatic example of that. Um, a, a grill company, for example, had never been to the, to the big consumer electronics show in Las Vegas before, and, and we went in this last January and ended up uh, being voted most coveted product um, at the consumer electronics show, and that's, 
2,500 of the top technology companies in the world. And Lynx ended up um, as uh, as the winner and walked away with the most coveted product. And I must say, we, we didn't expect that. We didn't know what to expect because grill companies don't go to Consumer Electronics Show. Uh, but we were very pleased and, and we knew from that experience that this was a powerful technology that we needed to bring to market. Absolutely uh, impressive and uh, a huge take, as you said, at uh, CES, um, being able to take the most coveted uh, product from everybody else that's uh, really, I guess, considered or viewed as a technology company. Uh, Jim Book is the CEO for Lynx Grills. Again, the website, Lynx, L-Y-N-X, grills.com is that website. Uh, Jim, really appreciate the time and the insight conversation tonight. Thanks so much for doing it. Greg, thank you. Yeah, you got it. There he is, Jim Book. President and uh, well, president, CEO of Lynx Grills. And again, that website, linksgrills.com. Uh, look, uh, you know, people bitch and moan and complain about um, technology and is it ruining grilling? Is it ruining barbecue? Whatever. You are absolutely 100% lying. If you wouldn't want to get your hands on that, can you imagine having something that asks you? You want to cook it the same as last time? Give it 45 more seconds, Grill. See you in uh, three days when we try it again. Absolutely fantastic. Uh, Centralites, are you interested in taking barbecue and smoked foods to the next level? Have you thought about starting a catering business, opening a food truck, or even your own restaurant? If you've answered yes to any of these questions, let Cook Shack help you be successful. Register for Cook Shack's restaurant and catering class to be held in July. The class is held at the Country Club in Ponca City, Oklahoma. Uses their commercial kitchen. You'll see how to cook on a Cook Shack charbroiler, FEC 500, FEC 120, and SM 160. All smokers used during the class will be available for purchase at a special rate for participants at the class. There you go. The class has a classroom portion and a hands-on portion. If you want to handle meat, rubs, and knives, this class is for you. Each student will learn how to select proper meat cuts, trim brisket, pork butt, ribs, and chicken. Other topics to be discussed include menu ideas, cook and hold techniques, food safety, brining, profitability, and most importantly, yields. It also includes setup for a dinner service and serving the patrons of the country club. The class is taught by legendary Fast Eddie Ed Marin, barbecue pitmaster TV show finalist David Bosco, Butcher's Barbecue Competition Cooking Team, and Cook Shack CEO and President Stuart Powell. Each student will receive a binder with class materials and supplies and cook shack spices and sauces to take home. It also includes three nights of hotel, meals, a tour of cook shack's manufacturing facility, and a tour of the head country barbecue manufacturing facility. Class dates again July 22nd and 21st, or 21st and 22nd. Hello. Class size limited to 25 students, so sign up soon or today. For more information, contact Krista with Cook Shack. 800-423-0698 or shoot her an email at C underscore, not the hyphen, underscore, C underscore Jones at CookShack.com. For additional information on CookShack or Fast Eddie by CookShack, visit the website, CookShack.com. That's C-O-O-K-S-H-A-C-K, CookShack.com. All right, we're back with uh, Rhythm and Q. Talk about a little Sam's Club regional victory right after this. Stick around, be right back.
Big name interviews, advice on cooking brisket and ribs, and the only host willing to share his honest opinion on all things important in the world of barbecue, it's the Barbecue Central Show. All right, welcome back. Thanks again to Jim Book for uh, joining me this past segment, talking about uh, Lynx Grill, especially that smart grill. Are you kidding me? All right, uh, gang, the Sam's Club Series continues to roll on. My next guest took part in the first regional final. That was in Las Vegas, Nevada this past weekend. Walked away with Grand Champion. And here to recap that event for us are the pitmasters of uh, Rhythm and Q, Alexa Fairbairn, and Vince Carucci. The... Uh, Alexa, Vince, welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, joining me. You guys are there, right? Now, right? Okay. We sure are, Greg. Okay, Thanks great. for having us on. Yeah, absolutely my pleasure. I appreciate you guys making time. Um, if I could start, uh, I guess, uh, with you, Vince, um, how do you uh, how do you get into the competition side of things, and uh, and how do you, I guess, form the team rhythm and cue? Well, it started off with just an idea of going out to a barbecue event and having some fun, meeting some new people. And we got out there and did our first event back in November of 2006. We were soundly thrashed and had a great time uh, and decided we better do this again. And we ended up taking a a competition class from Brett and Kim Walton, uh, the team known as Q and for you. And we learned an awful lot from them and it just kind of, took off from there. Uh, Alexa, when you uh, re- received that sound thrashing as uh, Vince was recounting, you know, typically it's a, it's a little bit in reverse where a, a team in that first competition might win a category or they might get lucky enough to, to finish second or first, and then it's hook, line, and sinker. Um, you know, what did you find so uh, attractive and romantic about the whole uh, competition scene where you would want to go back after uh, kind of getting it handed to you? Well... I don't know if attractive or romantic were two words that I would apply to that at all. Oh, come on. You know it is. Vince had gone and spoken to, this was an IBCA contest, and Vince had gone and spoken to the head judge after the, after the, you know, the show was done. And uh, he very kindly remembered our entries, which were undoubtedly noteworthy because they were so staggeringly bad. <laughs> and Vince had also apologized for our birthday at that contest to the head judge, and that apology was well well deserved. Um, and we found that we had made the final table on chicken, and thought, well, maybe you know this wasn't a, a, a total blowout. Maybe we got some potential here. And it just you know it it really just seemed like. You don't just do something once, and if you're not good at it right away, I mean, we both knew we'd have to work for this some. So we did. And unfortunately, in in the course of working for it, you know, then after we had uh, taken our class from Q&4U, and we spent the entire following summer practicing avidly, and we went to, oh, let me see, it was on Labor Day. We went up to Taylor, Arizona. And, again, didn't quite place where we wanted to. And this was, you know, up in the mountains, and it's a, and it's a good long drive back down the hill. And for a large part of the way, it was a very quiet drive back down the hill. 
And I finally had to admit, and this had been the, the show from hell, as, as, as often happens up in the mountains, you know, there was, a, there was a flash storm, and we're here under these canopies that we were so green we didn't even know to weight them down, and we're holding them, and there's rain <laughs> pouring on our electrical nexus and lightning flashing, and I'm convinced we're going to die. And after going through all of this, we're riding down the hill, and I looked at him, and I said, you know what? If we're never going to be good enough to have a chance of winning, this isn't going to be fun. And he looked at me as if I'd, you know, suddenly grown a second head. And I just pointed him to my priors and all my previous hobbies. And that was when the glaring truth came out is that I'm just a little competitive. So it seemed like worth going back and, re, you know, keeping, you know, keeping revisiting and really taking a hard stab at it. And so we had another show up in Clovis, California scheduled two weeks later. And so we're on the, on the last way of that ride down the hill, and that was where we instituted a tradition that we continue to this day, is we go over our scores, we recap the cook while it's fresh in our mind, and we chart our course for, you know, any changes that we, that we may want to make or we discuss, you know, what possible variations there could be going on. And we had mostly gotten the way home. I said, well, so do you mind if we um, swing by Costco and pick up some ribs on the way home? <laughs> and that's exactly what we did. We practiced furiously for the next two weeks. We went up to Clovis, um, and they, we actually had a written timeline for that one, and we said, went in saying, this is it. If we hit all our marks, if we do the plan we have laid out perfectly, we will have achieved what we came to achieve. And as it turned out that day, we ended up being RGC. It's just that easy. <laughs> I wouldn't say it was easy, but it, it, you know, it happened. You know, if you, if you follow through, if you execute, if you do it the way you know you got to do it, it happens. Alexa and Vince from Rhythm and Q joining me here on the show. Uh, we'll get to the uh, Sam's Club recap here in just a second. Uh, Vince, if I could ask you, you know, I, I'm always interested about team names and, and how they uh, come up and, and land on team names. How do you come up with and land on Rhythm and Q? Well, Actually, it took us a while to come up with that. That wasn't the original uh, name of it that we did our first, very first that IBCA event under. Um, and what we knew we didn't have something that was going to be very recognizable or something that, that people could even pronounce. The thing we come up with was kind of a, an inside joke um, for between the two of us on, on nicknames. Anyway, as many teams can probably attest to, you start to, to, to go through this process of finding something that you feel really good about, that you just enjoy having that name be your identifier, um, but at the same time be something that's representative of barbecue itself. And you get kind of punchy after a while where you've come up with name after name after name. And, you know, it's like you, you start spitballing anything that comes out of your mouth and adding barbecue <laughs> to the end of it. Well, we, we, we started going on a music theme, and one of the things that we came up with was rockabilly barbecue. And we both liked that, and we immediately did a search for that, and we found out there was a festival in it, it, somewhere in the east. I think it was one of the Carolinas. It was called the Rockabilly Barbecue Festival. And so we decided, well, let's not do that. And suddenly we shifted over to blues. And we thought about rhythm and blues. And we both kind of looked at each other and said, that's it. 
rhythm and cue. <laughs> and it's the combination of rhythm and blues being that really um, honest American music genre. And then you've got barbecue being that real American cuisine. And it just kind of, it just kind of came together and we looked at that and said, that's really good. We, we liked that a lot. And that's pretty much how it came, to be, came into being. Cool. That's a great story. Um, all right. So let's go ahead and uh, kind of look back at uh, this past weekend. Uh, Alexa, overall, you know, anything during that weekend's cook that uh, came up that maybe you didn't plan for that you had to contend with that you weren't expecting? Wow. First and foremost, anybody who was there knows it was the weather. It was that screaming, howling wind that did not let up, you know, from the moment we rolled in until the moment we rolled out. Um, we had, you know, just kind of taken a look at the forecast and said, you know, this is a little worrying. Um, we cook under canopies with WSM, so we're not exactly a heavy weather team. So we said, let's deploy the R&Q Hall of Ago, which, is, which means we go to a U-Haul place and rent a box truck to serve as a, as a mobile kitchen. And so we had gotten that, and honestly, by the time Vince had, you know, gotten, you know, everything mostly set up, and he takes a break to go to the hotel and shower up to get ready for the night, and I'm sitting in the box truck in the kitchen that's set up, you know, the same way we normally do, and there's a big bucket of liquid on the table, and it was gusting hard enough and rocking the truck hard enough that this container was slopping, and I'm just watching it, oh, calculating no. to see when it's going to slop over. <laughs> it was pretty darn interesting in that respect. Now, you know WSMs, of course, that is their one area of, it's not, you know, a weakness so much as you compensate for it, is that the wind kills them. They're not insulated like bigger, heavier smokers. Yep. So anything that steals their little heat bubble from around them, you know, can, can make life pretty difficult. And so Vince had parked them in the lee of the truck, and we had our little wind protectors around them. And he said they honestly just chugged along now, also with the help of, got a plug, for the stoker. Um, we've been using the stoker for, gosh, our entire competition career, and it's been a wonderful fail-safe for, for us. So between the, you know, compensating for the lack of insulation on the, on the cookers, getting the stoker in there and getting them rolling along, the cook went pretty much by the numbers, pretty much as planned. Uh, I would assume, Vince, that you guys are always uh, keeping an eye on weather, and uh, you're not typically uh, at this point in the in the in the barbecue cooking career uh, surprised, or you're not taken off guard by any uh, weather scenarios that could roll up on you. No, not at all. We've cooked in howling wind, you know, driving rain, um, absolutely gorgeous conditions, everything in between. We've been in snow. Um, believe it or not, we got snowed on one year in Boulder City, Nevada on Memorial Weekend, if that's believable, um, it, it happened. But the, one of the things we, as Alexa said, we're a canopy team. We don't, uh, we don't want to spend, you know, we would rather invest the money that we spend on barbecue on going to events rather than on buying an RV or a, a trailer or any of those things. It's just, it's, it's a decision that we made that allows us to compete more often than we otherwise would. And we're willing to sacrifice some of the comfort that comes with having uh, either a trailer or an RV for the ability to go out, you know, more times during the course of a year. 
but we've learned over the, you know, over the gosh, 120 plus contests we've done how to compensate for when things are going to happen weather-wise that we can't control. Things like high wind are, the, are really the things that are the most difficult for us to deal with. Rain is not so bad. Canopies can hold up under rain just fine. But the wind, you can lose a couple of $200 canopies. And to go out and get a box truck for, um, you know, under $50 for the weekend to give you hard walls and protection, it's, it's a real simple thing. I think we've done that three, maybe four times over the years. So um, just learning when you know you don't want to battle the weather. And this was certainly an event where we knew in advance it was going to be rough. So we just, and a lot of other teams did the same thing, which was good to see, um, you know, them taking the chance or the, the, the step to make sure they were able to do the best job that they could at this event. So we weren't alone in that. Alexa and Vince from Rhythm and Q uh, joining me here on the show, uh, talking a little bit about the win last weekend in Las Vegas on the Sam's Club uh, first regional final that took place. And uh, they'll be heading down to Bentonville a little bit later in the year. You know, when we look at the individual meat category results, uh, 16th overall in chicken, 4th in pork, 2nd, I'm sorry, 4th in ribs, 2nd in pork, 4th in brisket. Uh, you know, there seems to be a contingent, uh, and it seems to be only with chicken, of uh, teams that uh, will cook the chicken and turn it in and run with it, uh, and they are 100% confident in their method. There's also another contingent that will cook it the way they would normally do, but then they kind of taste it and will make tweaks prior to jumping in the box and sending it off to the uh, judge's tent. Uh, where do you guys fall out on that? Oh, you know what? I, I hate to admit it. But we have gotten into the habit of being the fix what we know works and send it out camp. And we've tried to be more diligent about tasting it. But uh, chicken has been a strong meat historically for us. Um, we started out early in our career with a second at the Jack and chicken, you know, and followed it up a few years later with a first in chicken at the Jack. Um, last fall, we got our first chicken 180 at the Sam's Club National. So at that point, we're kind of not fixing what we pretty much know works. If it hits its marks during the cook itself, we know it's going to be good. So we put that flavor on it and, you know, throw it in the pretty greenery and send it in. We'll taste it, you know, but since we don't have, you know, we cook a minimal number of pieces. We cook eight pieces of chicken. Six of them have to go in the box. There's not a lot you can do. You know, if you taste one and say, gee, I don't know, maybe we should pick some bigger ones. No, it doesn't work that way for us anymore. What we have is what we have, and then it goes. Uh, overall score shows uh, 685 and 7 tenths. You know, almost, well, better than four points uh, distance from uh, RGC Harry Sue from uh, Slap Your Daddy. Uh, were you a little nervous uh, as they were starting to call out the overall uh, names about the grand championship take since you didn't get a call in chicken? Do you kind of wonder where, you know, did you tank? Were you right around top ten? How does not getting that call affect uh, the three other calls that you got in relation to being able to win it? I think like most teams, Greg, who, who've been doing this a while, you do start to pay attention to that. You're kind of calculating in your mind as it goes along, okay, who's got two calls, who's got three calls, where were they, um, and you're, you're playing that around. And when you don't get a call in something, yeah, you're not sure if you were, you know, if they're calling 10 places, you're not sure if you were 11th or if you were 28th. <laughs> so um, not getting a call in chicken, which we know we've been, you know, we usually have had, you know, somewhere in the top 10. 
Um, that was a little concerning. So, but once we saw, I think how things played out, the, you know, having two fourths and a second at that point, we were confident that we had made the top 10 based on the other calls that we could piece together in our mind with the other teams. Um, keeping in mind that there were two teams that I think took first and second in two categories. Um, one was in, I'm sorry, we had a first and a second in chicken and ribs. And then I think there was another team that took first in pork and brisket. Yeah. Um, and so when you know you've got those two calls, you're thinking, wow, this really is, because the points now all of a sudden are coming into play. Uh, as it turned out in the chicken category, we finished 16th in chicken, but there was only an 11-point spread between the first-place team and where we fell in. I, I think we had a 165, and I think a 160, or a one, what was that, a 176 was first place. I don't have the numbers in front of me. I just remember it being about 11 points. And that was a real benefit to us because if that had been a, a much broader spacing in, uh, in that category, it, you know, it certainly may have meant not finishing in first place, certainly in the top 10. But, um, yeah, we do watch the categories as the awards are going on. And you, you do put that, as I said a moment ago, you put it together in your mind where you fall. Uh, Alexa, when we were uh, kind of corresponding to set the segment up, you'd mentioned that you guys were going to be turning right back out and uh, competing this weekend. Uh, you know, when you see the chicken being 16th, I mean, obviously uh, there's a lot of teams that would take a 16th chicken uh, for sure, but uh, will you be looking to make any type of adjustment this coming weekend? Do you chalk up this past weekend's chicken to it's just one of those contests and you're going to stick with what you have been doing? How do you attack it from here? You know what, given our history in that meet, it's very hard to take the results from one contest and start making yourself crazy. Now, we do have uh, much more information in that regard on the score sheets than we used to, by, by which I mean you can see what table your chicken was on, um, you know, how that table performed and you know, how you did on the table itself, you know, and how that table stacked up against other tables in the final standings. In... The old days, we would take a result like that and go, oh, my gosh, something's terribly wrong. Would we change? I don't know. Let's try something. And then, <laughs> you know, you might mess yourself up for three or four months trying to figure out what was wrong with it. Once you've been around the block a time or two, now we're going, you know, I would like to see what happens after two or three shows. If we get feedback in the raw scores over a period of two or three shows, showing an area of weakness, then we seriously go and reevaluate. Rhythm and Q has just won the Las Vegas Regional Final, and uh, they will obviously be moving on to the final round in Bentonville, Arkansas, a little bit later this year, obviously doing contests in between to keep those barbecue skills sharp. Uh, Alexa, Vince, thanks so much for coming on tonight, and continued success. Thank you very much, Graham. It was a pleasure to be on the show, and we really appreciated the invitation. Yeah, absolutely. My pleasure. There they are, the uh, pitmasters of uh, Rhythm and Q, Alexa Fairbairn and Vince Carucci. By the way, I must say, um, as a host of a uh, radio-slash-video show, TV show, um, I'm always a little on the edge um, when we have multiple guests, and obviously... Either they just know how to work off each other or they had said, okay, uh, depending on this question or that question, I'm going to talk, you're going to talk. Nobody stepped on anybody, which is always my big concern when it comes to the 
uh, you know, multiple guest thing. That was my concern with Pigman and Quita last week. I was saved by my terrible phone problem. <laughs> Sorry, Pigman. Don't you hunt me, Pigman. Uh, so thanks to Alexa and Vince for coming on and uh, recapping that. Man, sounds like a ton of fun out there. A lot of personality in that team, that's for sure. Uh, good luck to them and uh, the other nine teams that have qualified for that final. And uh, we'll see how they do uh, in a number of months from now. I, I kind of agree with John from last week. It is a little odd that you, you know we already have a final or a regional final in the books. It's a little weird. But that's all right. We'll take it and run with it. All right, uh, let's go and take a quick look back all the way back in the first hour. Gabriel Garcia joined me. We talked about uh, gauchogarcia.com, his uh, asado grill, the asado cooking in the background on uh, the Argentinian uh, lessons that he gave us. So check that grill out. It's really, uh, really cool. Going to be for sale here shortly. Uh, also, we talked with Monty Brown from Trash Can Cookers. Talked about steak. We talked about uh, IBCA. We talked about just his uh, high competition level in general. Shared some tips and tricks. Uh, check that on the podcast if you missed it. Second hour, Jim Book from Lynx Grills brought it strong. Talked about the smart grill. Some people in the uh, feedback saying that it's uh, you know not all that it's built up to be or whatever. Hey, I'm just a moderator. I'm here to say that if I was going to give you one, you would take it. You know. Um, and then we close out the show strong with uh, Rhythm and Cupid Masters, Alexa Fairbairn, and Vince Carocci. And uh, they'll be trying their hand at the finals in September. If you have the raw cast iron, folks, season it each and every time. little uh, Crisco, little Pam as it cools down and you've cleaned it, let it burn back in. Reseason it each and every time. Generations of rust-free service. Also, September 11th, 2001. I will never forget. Until next Tuesday at 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, this is your program host and proud U.S. American, Greg Rempe. Good night now.